book of Proverbs, chapter 23 and verse 7, we're talking about something that God wants all of us to have. That's the spiritual mind. A spiritual mind. A spiritual mind is better than a carnal mind. The fact the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that if you have a carnal mind, you're an enemy of God. You're on the wrong side of God with a carnal mind. The fact of the matter is, most everybody that came to the Lord, if not everybody that came to the Lord, had a lot of carnality in their mind. And God, in the process of assembling together, and of teaching and being convicted and dealing with your life, is cleansing us from those things. Like Jesus said, you are clean through the word that I've spoken to you. Or like he said in Ephesians chapter 5, that Christ will cleanse his church with the washing of water by the word. God help us to hear the word. Amen. We've got to hear it and we've got to heed it. Now Proverbs 23, 7, if you found it, it says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. I mean, there's volumes written, I'm sure, about that verse. And you don't have to say a whole lot to get the meaning of it. We are as we think. If we think wrong, we are wrong. If we think right, we'll do right. But it all depends on what you engage your mind to think about. As we've said in a few past teachings, there are negative thoughts there are positive thoughts. Our mind is like a theater. There's a film running all the time. If the devil can get his films run in there and make you feel guilty because of your past sins or make you see yourself as unable to achieve what God has said or show you that, well, I'm so weak and I can't and nobody in my family ever has and it's too far, too hot, too slow, too young, too, too something... And just see yourself as incapable or less able than what God says you are. Just convince yourself. And if you think about it enough, you will convince yourself. And you begin to back off and take the position of, well, nobody's perfect. And after all, and, uh, you know, nobody can live like that. And then you begin to dismiss or excuse yourself from living the kind of life you should. Because the way you see yourself is not the way God says you are or should be. But you see yourself in light of human experience. In the human experience, uh, this is the way we are. And yet God doesn't say, I want you to stay as you were. Isn't there something in the Bible about the renewal of a man? That a man changes, he grows. In the picture that it says we grow is, is to be like Christ, a measure of the stature of the fullness. You remember that? The picture we get, whether we aspire to be like that or not, the picture there is that this is what God wants us to be like. And when you teach on forgiveness, the devil throws in all your past hurts, the wrongs that were done to you, what he did or she did or they did. And you see yourself so many times as a victim. Well, I couldn't help it. It wasn't my fault. Well, the reason that I stuttered was because this or that. And yet God shows you, you know, I don't see you as a stutter box. I see you as healed. 
I see you as delivered from that. Now, when you see yourself like that, you'll begin to strive after that. You'll begin to set your crosswire on what God said, because if God said you can, you certainly can. And the only reason you're not is because you're not trying to be. Because God doesn't give us something to do and then give us failure to replace it with. So it depends on how we think. And the more the word that we hear, the more God talks to us and teaches us, and the more we avail ourselves to reading or meditating or thinking, the more we begin to see things that this is the way it's supposed to be. And you begin to realize areas of your life. God's word is like a light, and it shines in your light and shows you, you know, you're not doing well. You're not trying real hard there, and those are strongholds. You never did try hard there. You never did do well in that area. It's never been really the way it ought to be in some areas of your life because those are strongholds. And when you say, I just, it's just the way it is, I can't help it. You can help it. The Bible never says you're helpless, never, except trying to do something without him. But those strongholds can be cast down. It's part of warfare. You've got to put on your armor and get after it. But you can pull down strongholds. You can be liberated. Can we not live liberated? Are we not made to live liberated? When God made Adam in the garden, he wasn't bound. He was free. And it was the devil who brought in sin, and sin is bondage. It does so much because sin gives access to your life to the devil. When you give place to the devil, and Paul said in Ephesians 4, when you give place to the devil, he has a right to your life in some area, usually those strongholds. He occupies some right to, to your life. And he'll stay there as long as you let him. And the reason the devil doesn't want you to get your eyes open is because if you see that the devil's behind your problems, you'll start dealing with it. And you can get liberated from it. You don't have to be like that. I still remember coming home from Louisville that night back in the late 68. That was last century. What, 1968? And Bonnie said, we've been robbed. We heard the truth and never heard it before. If I had heard it before, it didn't mean anything to me. But we heard the teaching. A short, just an hour and a half is all it was. And a message. And, and it's such an impact on us that, you know, came home and said, you know, we've been robbed. We've been cheated and we've been robbed. I realize now all these areas of your life that have been dominated and controlled by the devil, we didn't do anything about it because we didn't know how. Didn't know we could. That's what the word is for. The word is a light. And the word of God is a light that shines into your heart. It brings revelation. Not only of who God is, but what's wrong with us. And that's the only way we can ever deal with our lives. Get our homes straightened out. You've got to get your thinking right, because as you think, so you are. And if you sit around and, and you're negative all the time, and you're talking about what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that, and I'll tell you one thing, I, like a, a place of business in Shelbyville that I have been before, there was a an employee that worked there, that after about three months, I learned not to ask her how she doing. I mean, it was without ever 
I don't remember one time ever getting a positive answer to the question. Hey, how you doing? Positive. <laughs> That's, and then put words to that. And that was how she was doing. And to hear her talk, she griped. The employee griped about this and griped about that. I remember thinking, what a sad person you would be to be around. Because you'd have to deal with that. But everything was negative. Negative this, negative that. When you start talking about politics all the time, you cannot escape getting negative. You can't avoid the issue coming up because it's in front of your face. It's around you all the time. But when you start thinking about it and discussing it and talking about it with somebody outside the faith or whatever, you cannot escape getting negative at some point because there's very little, if anything, positive about it. I mean, these are carnal men leading a nation as best that they can. They're without a revelation of Christ. And if they did have a revelation of Christ, they couldn't do what they're doing with that light. They could not live that life in that capacity because it would, well, you can imagine what the news media thinks about. If you say a prayer, you're a right-wing extremist. If you pray. So see, that's negative. And you start listening to them, and you start forming those opinions. And somebody said, well, well, I'll tell you one thing. And there you go. And there's nothing spiritual about negativity. Nobody with a negative mind is spiritual. Amen. We come to the place where, you know, that's not something that I need. I need to get myself out of that, those places where all this yakety yak takes place. I don't know how many times I get away from a situation where you're just talking somewhere you maybe shouldn't have spent so long and get in the car to come home and say, why do I talk about that? I mean, just empty, yucky feeling. Just yakety-yakking about this and yakety-yak about that and, and then about gun control and the Congress. And, and I think, why am I yakking about that? Do I really think the Bible teaches everything is going to get rosy and good? There are religious groups that do. I'm just not one of them. I believe it's going to get worse and worse. That's negative. That's Bible too. And so we come to the place where we're studying, what we're studying now about, if I'm going to have a spiritual mind, I'm going to have to start thinking like God thinks. Is that possible? God said to his people in Isaiah 55, he said, you know, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Well, (laughs) of course they're not. Can they be? Of course they can be. Thy word have I hid where? In my heart. So that I can think on spiritual things that come from God. It all depends on what I want to do. I have a will just like you all have a will. And whatever I want to think about, I will. And if I want to get free from that, I will. I'll turn to God and he'll set me free from it. Now, when you turn to 2 Corinthians 11, Paul said verse 3 and 4. He said, I fear, I'm talking about our minds now and our thinking, but I fear less by any means, whether through the media, educational system, the TV, the radio, or your neighbor next door. I fear less by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, 
or his craftiness, so your minds, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that comes, and notice, the simplicity that is in Christ is made confusing and twisted by preaching. Instead of preaching a simple message to people whom God says we, have, we are simple anyway. Instead of preaching just what the Bible says, they want to make it something exciting, extravagant. And as a result, for if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, whom you have not received. It's interesting, isn't it? Somebody can preach another Jesus, the one that doesn't heal, one that doesn't deliver, is not absolutely absolute. This modern day Jesus is not like that. He could, and he might, but then again, he might not. Because see, he knows best for you, and you should leave it up to him. Forget the word, forget reading the word and finding promises. Just leave it up to Jesus. Well, the devil would love you to do that. You wouldn't need any faith, and if you did have any, you wouldn't use it because what difference would it make? But he said, if somebody comes and preaches another Jesus, which means you start forming a new image in your mind, Jesus, he's just like you. He's no different than you are. I mean, he thinks like you, and you, you know, he may not care about this or that. And I mean, you get these different pictures that people preach about Christ, and as a result, you linger on that, you start thinking about that, you pick up another spirit. And this is the spirit where danger comes in because this is where the closets get locked up with a spirit. This is where strongholds come in. You give place to the devil because you give place to error. and You give place to wrong teaching. Well, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light, the Bible says. And if what you're calling light is really darkness, Jesus addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is the darkness? Because it will lead you to darkness in a ditch and you'll fall. I don't care how religious you are. So in my mind, I realize the devil's goal is my mind. He can capture my thinking. He'll control my life. He can turn me away from faith or he can make me dissatisfied or hopeless. Why can't it work? Why doesn't it work for me? I try, I go to church and nothing works right for me. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, if you go two or three books to your right, you can read with me in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4. He said, in this I say, lest... Any man should beguile you with enticing words. And Paul said, now let me set the record straight because I'm telling you the truth. Now, if they speak not according to this word, he said, they're beguiling you. Remember one time he said, if they don't receive what I've said, let them be anathema. Wow. Verse 8, enticing words has to do with beguiling speech. Boy, we're living in a day in which this is happening. Persuasive words. Verse 8, See to it that no one makes a prey of you by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the universe and not according to Christ. Do you know there are spirits of tradition or behind tradition that departs from the word there is a spirit? Did you know that? Listen, you take some religion like Catholicism 
Well, that's a strong spirit. And while they will listen to anything else, they can't hardly get away from, from the, the Catholic religion, even though they don't even know what it is. It's a spirit. I don't know how many Catholics know what they believe, but they believe in something. It's a system, and it seems so that do this and stuff like that, and, and you can feel really good about yourself without even knowing what it's all about. And in the Reformation, the 1500s, when that was beginning to be exposed, when Catholicism was beginning to be exposed for what it was, the Catholic Church went on a warpath because they lost a lot of people. But because it's a big spirit, a strong spirit, they still have lots and lots and lots of people in this world. Verse 18, he said that, talking about your vain minds puffed up, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. The picture he sees of what motivates him is to say these kind of things. It's a show, a show of humility. And, you know, just this has to be God because he's so humble. Or talks about these mystical things and where he deals with angels. And, I mean, and people like that. But the word will tell you, watch out. God isn't going to keep us from running into error. We're not going to be hidden from the error of this hour today. The continual erroneous things that keep like waves of the sea, they come up. And they'll come up again. And they'll come up in another generation. Same spirit. He doesn't hide us from that, but he teaches us on how to know the difference between right and wrong. So that you can exercise your faith in showing God where your heart is with regard to what you're going to believe and what you're going to follow. And you'll be separated from other people. You won't be liked well because you're too narrow or too extreme or something. So you have to know what you believe. Now last week we, we were in Psalm 1. You might want to just follow me again briefly there in Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is the man. Well, I want to be blessed. I want my family blessed. I want this church blessed. Well, here's one thing about blessing. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits down at the good old boy's shop, listen to scorners, yakety yakking about what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that. Scornful, scorning, putting down. Blessed is a man that doesn't hang around that crowd, sit around and do that. His delight, the man who's blessed of God, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now that's the key because it says this, if he will do that, is it verse three that says he shall be? Okay, the conclusion of you doing, well, first of all, the negative part, number one, don't do, Number two is do this, don't do that, do this. And thirdly is, this is consequence. You made a decision not to do something God wanted you to do, but to do something God wanted you to do. And as a result, you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and so forth. And the end of that verse says, verse says, and whatever he doeth shall what? Prosper. Now, the word prosper also means success. It doesn't have to be just money. It means a lot of deeper things than just money. 
being well, doing well in life. How are you doing? This is a word for prosper. When you say, how are you doing? You say, I'm, I'm doing good. That's prospering. You got a dollar in your pocket and you don't owe anybody anything. So you're a dollar ahead, you're prospering. When you feel good and things are in order and you've been making application of the word and, and things are coming in order and you're beginning to experience uh, the serenity or the peace that God gives with living according to his word, you're doing well. You're prospering. You're being successful because not many churchgoers are successful living this life. A lot of people hear about it, but I don't know how many are finding the success that is promised by the Lord because he certainly promises it. And one of the greatest of all things, the greatest, perhaps the greatest, is peace. Peace is freedom from agitation. You're not warring in your mind about why did I do that? I don't know about that. Why should I do that? You're not worrying about that. You know what's right. You've proven what the will of God is in Romans 12. Your mind is beginning to, to think right. You're experiencing that input from the Holy Spirit to illumine things. You're seeing things now the way God wants you to see, and you're beginning to practice those things. And you're living a different life than you've ever lived before. Your mind, as it's being renewed, is beginning to be a spiritual thing. God now can speak in your mind, speak things to you. And when you see it, and it's conviction in your heart, you begin to live that way. He's going to use you when you're like that. And the key with this is contentment. I said this last week. A person who's willing to meditate in the word, ponder it, think about it. Just mull it over in your mind. What did you just read? What did you just hear? This message you heard, what was that about? You understand it? Did you get it? Was the message personal? Or was it for the person you invited to church with you or the, your wife beside you or your husband? Or did God say anything to you? What did he say? I know you're busy. Why don't you take a little time to think about it? Give God a little time thinking about it. A housewife. How are you doing? How are you doing as a housewife? With your routine as a, uh, a woman, a keeper at home. Uh, maker of biscuits. Well, times have changed. You say, listen, the Bible never does change. Times do change. What about the obligation and the responsibility you have as a woman to your family and to your children for to, to do things the way God wants it done in order, decently, maybe working on a schedule, teaching your children when you can. Daddy's gone most of the day. How about success in loving your husband? Is he pleased with you? Does he really look forward to seeing you? I mean, are you to him what he wanted when he married you and you stayed like that? Are you prospering in this way? Hmm. Now I got it all quiet again. How about you men? I mean, are you, are you the kind of man that she expected you to be when you married? You love her the way you said you would, the way you promised you would? Are you trying? Can she tell? Are you saying thank you and giving her to 
her your approval for the work she does at home. It's not easy work. Try. Not me. But do you say thank you? I mean, do you take authority in the home when you come home to deal with the children? That's your job. You ever sit down and talk to them? You ever take them places riding around on a this or that? Just take your kids uh, with you and as you go, talk. Actually talk. I mean, verbalize things with your children. Spiritual things. I'm not talking about Mickey Mouse and all of that stuff. I'm talking about spiritual things. Does the application of God's word make you want to experience all of it, or you just pick and choose? Do we pick and choose the parts that we want to really work at and kind of let the other things slide? How about money? Are you successful in managing your house, restraining yourself from things you can't afford or you say you couldn't? Or have you run your credit card bill up to where it's shameful? Because you see, you're not very successful. I'm not fussing, am I? Kenny, I'm not fussing, am I? You got a credit card? Good. Okay. So, so you realize that God didn't lead me to do this. God didn't make me his servant in order that I can make myself, by my will, a servant to somebody else on this earth. You know, the borrower is servant to the lender. I mean, the company said, I'm going to give you a card. Here's your credit card, Kenneth. Don't you take it. They're going to give you a credit card. You might need it later, but here's a credit card. We will pay for every purchase you make. Whatever you buy with that up to few thousand dollars, we'll pay for it. Don't worry, but just use it. Go ahead, we'll pay for it. And they do. Somebody bought you those things. And all they said was at the end of the month, whatever you bought, you pay us back. Fair? Help me now. I'm not fussing. I'm talking. Fair? That's right. It's fair. The bill comes in at the end of the month and you go, I can't pay that off. What does the Bible say? Well, well, don't preach to me now. I've got a problem. Now, the company says, if you can't pay all of this off, we're going to add to this 24% interest. You say, that's not fair. Let me tell you something. That is fair. If they said 59% interest, it is as fair as you standing here tonight is fair. Ain't a thing wrong with that. If they want to charge 85% interest, it's fair. And quit complaining about that's not right. That's not fair. You asked them for the card. They told you they would take care of it. And if you don't pay them back, they have a right. You signed your name on the line. I will abide by your rules. My name is Jimmy, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. And so they here. Here's a card, the Jimmy card. 65% interest, that's fair. Well, they're charging me almost as much every month as I owe. It's still fair. Nothing unrighteous about it. Not a thing. Because you don't have to have it in the first place. You asked them for it. They said, these are my terms. You said, ah, that's fine with me. And it, it's your problem. It's not their problem. They're right. You're wrong. So you make me feel like I'm a failure. You are. Just trying to call attention to it for any of us. Yeah, that's just the way it is. 
One of the things that God teaches us is restraint. If you don't have the money to pay for that, you cannot afford to buy it. If you can't pay for it, don't buy it. And don't be covetous and put your nose against the wind and wish I had that. Just control yourself and say, we cannot afford that right now. I am content living without it. You're welcome. And you begin to be content. You walk that way. Let me tell you what Paul said about contentment. Turn to Philippians 4. Philippians is a wonderful little book. If you're going through difficult times, moments in your life, that's a good book to read. Little Philip, Philippians, Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 4. This first church, I think, in Asia Minor. Paul wrote this, verse 6. He said, don't worry about anything. Right away, don't worry about anything. These people are losing whatever they had because of their religion. You talk about getting hammered for what they believe. They were getting hammered. He said, don't worry about it. <laughs> Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, pray about it. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You reckon that'll work? Just pray about it. Release your anxious, stressful, careful moment, problem, situation to God. It is real. You can't escape it. It's there. But he said, bring it to the Lord and leave it there. Cast all your care over on him. And then he tells you this. After you do that, these things, again, they're right there looking at you, these problems. Then do this. Do this. I think of my first two initials. T-H. Is that my first two initials? T-H. And then J is a J. There's Paul. It's a P. And then a L. I associate things like this and I can remember things. Like in verse 8, whatsoever things are T-H, true, honest, whatsoever things are J, for J is just, what's Paul? He's pure. What's L? Lovely. If there is any virtue, if there is anything of praise, do what? Think on these things. Now, what's the tendency? Man, you got to get real. I'm looking at some... <laughs> Oh, man, what, what are we going to do here? Here's what Jesus said. He said, cast it over on the Lord. The problem is your mind. You can't get your mind off of your situation. You cannot let God have your mind, in this case, and be at peace with God. You can't. He said, cast all this anxiety and stress and worry, cast it over on the Lord. Be careful for nothing. What Jesus said in Matthew 6, take no thought. Don't worry about anything. Worry is a mental thing. You have to think about something that you're not completely willing to cast over on the Lord in order to worry. Your mind is divided and distracted. You worry because you don't have a solution. You don't know what to do. You can't figure out how you're going to do anything. And so you're this way and you're that way. What school should I go to for those of you that are going to do that? 
What about a him or a her in your life? Why don't you just give it to the Lord and leave it there? There's a song that says it. Take it to the Lord and leave it there and leave it there and leave it there. It'll take it to the Lord and leave it there. And then back off. Say, whatsoever things are Tom Hamilton, J. Paul, and L. T-H-J and L. T-H-J-P and L. If there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. What's T? True. Thank you. Don't look at your Bible. What's H? Honest. Honest. You're going to have to put the paper down today. What's J? It's just. Now, what's Paul? Pure. These you just have to remember. And if there be any virtue or any praise, think on these things. You got to think about something that's good. What? How about your little girl, your little boy at home? Oh, yeah, that's good. Well, think about that. That's good. How about Jesus on his throne? Never leave you nor forsake you. Where you are, he is. Watching over his word to perform it. Is that good? Is that lovely? Is it true? Is that honest? Think on that. How many people do? Not many. Which brings me back to the very beginning of this series. The problem with so many people in the church is they are bound in their minds. They've heard the truth. They're aware of the truth. They've taken notes about the truth. They talk about the truth, but they don't practice the truth because they can't get themselves and their situation. They can't cast it over on God because they see themselves as under a load and not in heavenly places over a situation. They just can't get free. They're not there. But you have to learn to be content. Not only am I going to cast my care over on the Lord and trust the Lord with how much of my heart? All of my heart? This might not be easy. Lean not to my own understanding. Is that in the Bible? You see, my understanding is formed by how I have figured things out in this world, how I've watched other people figure out things, how I've watched people do, my parents' influence, influence of other people. We just, we call it common sense. This is how you live. This is how you work down here. And there's a time when you're walking with the Lord, you don't lean to your own understanding. He asks you to turn to something that nobody else can understand, and you look like a fool when you're doing it. Such is the test of your faith. That's where we stand. We either are or we aren't because we can be. We can be all that God has called us to be because he sent his Holy Spirit for that purpose. Success begins with your mind. Prosperity begins with your mind. Greed, avarice, that also begins with your mind. But one is corrupting, one is of God. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. When you talk about success in the Bible or prosperity or how you come to this, you almost have to go to Joshua 1. You go to Psalms 1 and then you go to Joshua 1 and you get a clear picture of how God wants it to happen and how it can happen in our lives. We are not carnal if we say, I want to prosper. We are carnal if we say, I want to prosper and just have a lot so I can be a lot. That is carnal. 
But to prosper and be in health is not carnal. Because you see, if your desire is to have what God has promised, if my desire, I see the picture, if my desire is to have what God has promised me because that's his will for me, then I want it. I do. And if it makes things work better in in my life, then so be it. I can live without it. Most people do. But if God promises more, not only do I want more, but he has a reason for you getting more. We, I don't know if we get a chance to get all of that tonight, but, but we will try. The key in Joshua chapter 1, he's taken over for Moses. He's got some big shoes to fill. They've only known Moses. These Israelites have never followed anybody else their whole life. 400 years, they've never followed anybody, anybody these were slaves, brickmakers, pyramid makers. They have never followed anybody. Now they got to follow a somebody. The somebody was an old man. He 80 years old. His name was Moses. But he didn't act like he was 80 because he was still pretty spry. And Moses, he let him out. He let him out because he was equipped by God with an anointing which people could not ignore. They recognize that he has a special connection with I am, with God. They couldn't understand anything. They had never been taught. These weren't educated people. They were just Israelites, a whole nation of Israelite Hebrews inside of Egypt, another nation. They were a nation within a nation, and God led them out. And God anointed Moses to do miraculous and marvelous things. Nothing like it has ever been done since. And he led them here and he led them there. He spoke with God. His face glowed. He spoke with the people, the Ten Commandments and all that. All of that, he led them to the promised land. But he couldn't go in. And so God said to Moses, Joshua will lead them. Joshua was no spring chicken. He was one of only two guys that were over 20 who didn't die in the wilderness. Remember, they 40 years they wandered until they all over 20 died. Joshua and Caleb, they survived because they had excellent spirits. And so Joshua stands up to lead, and God says to him, Now, you're going to take over for Moses. You're the man now, Joshua. He didn't say it like that. But you're going to lead this people, and you're going to divide them in inheritance. And he said in verse 3, every place the sole of your foot treads upon, I've given it to you. From the wilderness, this is the land of Israel in verse 4. He said in verse 5, there shall no man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Nobody will ever subdue you. Nobody will ever dethrone you. Nobody will ever defeat you. Nobody will ever harm you all the days of your life. How do you know? Because God said so. Now, here's how this works. Verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all that is according to my will that is in the law. Now, that's not easy to do, as testified by centuries of Christian churches. Not many have ever done that, but he said, it's still here whether anybody does it or not. 
that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't change anything it says. Don't turn to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Is that possible? He didn't say that you make money wherever you go. He didn't say that. A lot of people would like for it to say that, but he said that you may prosper wherever you go. It will include financial well-being. I mean, you're not prospering if you're in poverty or broke unless there's a call on your life like it was with the Apostle Paul that the life you're going to live is a specific special life. It'll be different from other people. You'll suffer great things for my sake. In fact, some of the the best writings in the New Testament will be written from prison. Writing to us, prison epistles, telling us to hold fast and to rejoice. Keep the faith. Praise the Lord. Talk about somebody that had it put together. He did. But Joshua, here's what you do. You make sure you pay attention to everything you've heard. Don't leave anything out. God isn't teaching you things to forget. He's teaching you a way to live. Now, you, you keep it in your heart. And look, it's going to take courage to do this, but you, you have courage to live according to all that was said. And if you do, wherever you go, whatever you do, it'll work. You'll prosper. It'll be well with you. You'll find success in everything you do. I mean, the people will follow. Your enemies will be subdued. You will conquer. You will divide the land. I will use you for the benefit and for the glory of the good of my people, and they will praise me for it. And he said in verse 8, this book of the law, here's our key. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt, Psalm 1, meditate therein day and night. Why? What's the big deal about meditating, thinking about the word? Well, he said, therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's in it. How can you do what's in it if you don't know what's in it? And if you read what's in it, you're likely to forget what's in it because you'll be busy doing something else. You'll forget what you heard. So I want you to make sure that you work at remembering what you've heard and think about it. You're going to have to meditate. Sit down. Quit, quit doing a lot of things you might have normally done and maybe turn that computer off. Take time just to be still before the Lord. Just take time to just calm down and know who he is. Be quiet. And let yourself listen to whatever the Spirit of God says. I'm not talking about being mystical or some weird person. I'm just saying God gave us something to think about. God gave us his word to think about it. If we don't think about it, if we don't put it on our minds and and, and think about it as a spiritual man should, most likely we will forget it. And, And we're told to forget not his word. So he said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do all that is written therein. Now, do you see in verse 8 down near the end of it says, for then, the little words, for then, do you see that? That's like saying, so that. 
Or if you do this, this will happen. Now, this is what will happen. Tell me if you'd like for this to happen in your daily routine. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. What if I told you I would like everybody in this church, man, woman, and boy, the young ones to the older ones, to prosper and have good success on Bible terms, which means to do well at everything you do. Find success in everything you engage in. Things work for you in this life. Whatever you put your hand to will prosper. Remember that in Deuteronomy 28? God says, whatever, whatever you put your hand to will prosper. You'll be blessed when you go out. You'll be blessed when you come in. Your closet, your barns, your fields, your cattle, your chickens, goats, and whatever you got. Your children. They'll be blessed. They'll be blessed. God will command the blessing upon you and your house to pour his blessing out upon Now, when he does that, all these little things we fuss about, you know, I can't afford it. I can't. When you learn to just let God bring you where you're going and supply the kind of need that he gives you richly all things to enjoy, he does that. 1 Timothy 6, he gives us richly all things to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy it. Of course, you're going to suffer and have your difficulties and problems. Some people only see struggles in life. Well, there are going to be struggles, but there's also some relief. How many of you know we can't take anything to heaven? You can't take your marbles, you can't take your car, your lawnmower, that new suit you bought, and all your gold that you're hiding around the house. You can't take any of it to heaven. You know that? So what are you going to do with it? I'd say you're going to enjoy it, wouldn't you? Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you wouldn't. I think I would. I think I would. I, I tell you what, I think I will. But it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. But God gives enough so that that's your, I mean, there's a contentment now. What I have that I could do, I don't really care about doing so much any, anymore. So I'm free now to, well, let me show you a couple of things I'm free to do. Turn to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9. Hey, something I'm free to do. I would like for all of us to be free to do this. Verse 11. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. Now, he's talking about money here. This is a chapter on money and giving and support. Not so much to the ministry a local place, but it would be to others who didn't have much. It's giving. In other words, support to help mainly whatever you want to call it's going to. It is God wants to enrich you. One of the reasons he wants to enrich you is so that you can be a blessing to somebody else. Let me read verse 10 then. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your right doing. What would be seed sown in your righteousness? What would that refer to? Wouldn't that be something given to somebody else? Okay, then he said, verse 11, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness. 
which causes what? It causes what? Thanksgiving to God. What did we talk about Sunday? He said, uh, thou art worthy. Thou art worthy for, all, for thou hast created all things. What for? For himself. For his glory. Could it be possible that he saves us and refines us for his glory? So that we are glorious people, a glorious church? Is it possible that all the work that God does is to change things from not being what he wants to being what he wants so that God can be blessed in the middle of it? Of course it is. He has a purpose in everything he does. Does God want praise? He honors praise. He wants praise. Why then would some people who just received a gift from Shelbyville Christian Assembly of whatever or somebody in the church that had a real need and we, because we were able to help them, we helped them, would they praise the Lord? Or would they say it's about time? We take it back, do you? No. People thank God for his goodness, don't they? You're extensions. We're extensions of his goodness. He uses us to bless people. He uses us to reach people. He uses us to do a lot of things. He blesses us in some cases more than enough so that we can give. We can't take it with us. You can't take his stuff to heaven. If you get wrapped up in it, it'll corrupt you. So you got to see it for what it is. It is God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let go of it when you have to let go of it and don't regret it. Praise God, I didn't have it before I got that. And before I got that, I didn't have anything. He'll give, me it, he'll give it to me again. Praise the Lord. I don't see me anymore as some homeless child in the church. Always have a need. I see somebody that I might be down, but God will lift me up. Sometimes he uses my brothers and sisters to help me or to help each other. He said, it brings praise unto God. Well, God wants us to know that our success and our prosperity means that we have began application of his word in our life. Begin putting to practice God's word in our life. And he's starting to make change in our life. People begin to notice that your profiting is evident. You're doing better is evident. You're a different person than you were when we first met. I mean, you seem like you're doing better. I don't know how much money you got, or it's nobody's business. I'm not about to ask, and you're not about to tell. But you look like you're doing pretty good. You gave a testimony a couple of weeks ago. Now you're out of debt. So something's going on good in your life because you never were out of debt before. Now you are. A credit card was done. Ground that thing up. Cast it out. I mean, if you need to. Not everybody does. But, but, we're successful. We're beginning to find success. Maybe we're learning how after 15 years, we're learning how to be a husband. How to be a successful church member how to understand the definition of responsibility of what I am obligated to God to do because I surrender to him. He is everything. I am nothing. I have no gripe, 
No complaint before God about anything. He could have left me alone in the gutters of life and I could have died and righteously gone to hell. But he changed all of that. I have nothing but praise and thanksgiving to God for that. And if God wants me to prosper and be in hell, so be it. There's nothing wrong with doing well. There's nothing wrong with getting out of the hole. There's nothing wrong with having extra money at the end of the month. There's nothing wrong with having more than enough. I'll tell you this, there's nothing wrong with you prospering. Not a thing wrong with it. Why shouldn't we prosper? I'm talking about now, not only doing well in my work and job and home, but why shouldn't I financially do better? Why not? What's wrong with it? As long as I'm not covetous and greedy and trying to wiggle my way around and gain and do, as long as I'm just trusting God and living one day at a time and worshiping him, why not? God can guide me to the kind of a place I need to be, can give me the skill I need to be successful at any work he wants me to do. I cast that care over on him and I wait whatever he wants me to do. I pray before I go to a job, before I get to this job site today in the morning, whatever you do. Father, in the name of Jesus, before I leave this house, I claim good success today, that you'll use my hands and my life as a testimony to you, as a benefit to other people. And I ask you to make it known that these people have been blessed by the work I do for them, the people I help, whatever I do today, help me to do that right. Joshua, all you got to do is meditate on this word day and night. Meditate. Such a word in Psalms 1, tree that never fades, fruit in its season, fruitful. Whatever it does, prosper. Joshua, observe the law. Keep this word before you. Don't let go of this. This is life's treasure right here, this word. Meditate in it day and night, for therein you shall have good success, and therein you shall prosper. You'll do well in, in life. It shall be well with you when you go out. It shall be well with you when you come in. How about this? Everything you put your hands to will prosper. Is that okay? What about my tiller? That's what you break up ground with. What about my lawnmower? What about anything I do? You guys that build and make and fix and perform with your hands, do you know that God has ordained that everything you do would do well? That you're the best at what you do of anybody around because of the influence of God, that it shall be well with you and you will prosper? Did you know that? Why wouldn't we want it to be well? Because he's promised it. He gave us a word about it. Are you still in 2 Corinthians 9? Look at verse 6. Can you receive this? 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Can you receive that? That's a choice, isn't it? Now, if you want to manipulate God and say, well, if I give a a dollar, I'll get a hundred back, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. He just said, it's up, it's up to you. Just like giving in 1 Corinthians 16. You don't have to turn over there. You, know, you already know what it is. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay aside 
He didn't say lay aside your tithe. He didn't say that. He could have said it, but he said let him lay aside as the Lord hath what? Prospered. Lay aside. Has the Lord prospered you? Now, he was talking about giving to this church up in Macedonia. He said, lay aside. Paul said, when I come to you to receive this collection, I don't want to take it up when I get there. You make it up beforehand. I'll bring somebody with me and we'll account for it. But as God has blessed you and prospered you, which means he was, you measure it out. You measure it out. As you measure it out, God will measure it out to you. He said, you show. And so you lay it and give it to God. And let that be, as he said a while ago, something that causes thanksgivings to abound to God by your bountifulness. So let God use you that way. But he can't use you that way if you haven't, first of all, learned how to prosper yourself. I remember going years ago to getting, just back in the 70s now, go and get my taxes done. My taxes done. I got a better picture of taxes anymore, but... And in those days, Mr. Smith, my tax accountant, or the tax preparer, you would always give her a number what, what you estimate your income will be the following year, and then you would pay quarterly payments on what you think you're going to get. And so one year I made the first year out in 1970. I think my 71, my income was like 50 some hundred dollars. And so she said, well, well, you know that. She said, so what do you want me to put down for, for next year? I said, uh, $10,000. She said, that's quite a jump. I said, put it down there. She put it down and well more than that came in. It came back and she said, well, you certainly, you know. Next she says, what do you want to claim for 73? <clears throat> I said, man, I need some courage here. Because I'm not good at this kind of stuff, but uh, 30, 30,000. And there was this moment of E.F. Hutton. <laughs> she said, How much? 30,000. <laughs> 30,000. And she said, All right. And 30, I think 33 or $36,000 came in that year. And everything just bloomed open. It just came open. I mean, airplanes, this and that. Came, I mean, it just a lot of money. I remember one of the first things I started doing was buying tires for guys in the church that were running on recapped inner tubes and just kind of sliding the money so they would. And they, wow, well, I went down, bought them some tires, and this one over here got some tires, and this one over here got a pair of shoes, gave one some money to buy some shoes. And he went out and bought something else, and I said, he ain't getting no more money, you know. <laughs> And the Lord had to deal with me about that. said, when you release it, it's theirs. And I'll deal with them, but you keep your heart right. And your heart's not right when you're talking like that. So you give it as the Lord leads. If you missed it, then don't just be more careful the next time. You measure it out, God will measure it back. If your heart's right. Now, in closing, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, go back one chapter in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the favor and the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though, though he was what? Rich. Now listen, don't make the mistake that some say, well, he was spiritually rich. Listen, Jesus was never spiritually poor. 
He's not talking about spiritual. He's talking about the windows of heaven. He is able from that place up there, who though he was rich, yet for your sakes, what happened? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became what? Poor. Poor. What do you, how do you do that? How many of you know that there is a curse level on humanity? That we're all lawbreakers. The law is over. Everybody that sinned in any degree broke the law and were under a curse. That's, you know that. Turn to Galatians 3 and verse 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made what? One of the curses of the law, one of the real curses of the law was poverty. You read that in Deuteronomy 28. The curse of the law was poverty. How many of you know that he bore the curse of the law? That which was due us, he bore for us. It wasn't, he didn't sin, he didn't fail, but he simply became the sacrificial, the sin offering that God gave. And he bore away, paid the price of our sins so that we can be brought to God. Now, notice, verse 13, he said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone that hangeth on a tree. So we're not talking about morally a curse. He was, he was a curse here for us in that he took our place and died on a cross. That was a type of altar. Verse 14, that what? That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that we, through his poverty, might be what? Second Corinthians 8, 8, 9. So that we, through his poverty, might be what? Rich. Now, how you define rich depends on what you're seeing in your little theater. I've never seen myself in a, in a palace. I've never seen myself perched up on an ivory palace somewhere with somebody fanning my head and uh, bringing me grapes and apples in a tray. Never was like that. But I've seen me out of debt. I've seen all my needs met. I've seen me having good health so I can do what I'm doing without that restriction. That's important to me. It should be important to you. I want to be well and I want to prosper. Because the, that's the will of God. Amen. And it brings glory to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. I know you know this one. For all the promises of God, the blessing of Abraham, all the promises of God are in Jesus Christ. Yes. And in Jesus Christ, amen. What for? How does it end? Well, how's that verse end? For or unto the glory of God. Is God glorified through promises received? Why? Because when they are received, you do what? You praise the Lord. If you checked your mail before you came here tonight, you didn't even open it because it was dark. You put it in the car and you came in here and you sit down. 
And the preaching was so dull that you decide you'd open your mail and you'd read your mail, have something to do. So you opened your mail up and you looked there and there was a cashier's check unknown source for $500,000. We'd have to contain you. You know why you would rejoice? Because the note in there said, said, I sent this because the Lord told me to. You're out of debt for a long time or you're in trouble for a long time. I want to. I don't know what you're going to do. But money's not a cure-all, folks. It just makes it easy to go through life and do the things God wants you to do. Money's a problem. We got a $16 trillion debt in America. $16 trillion. Let me tell you a little, a little something, then I'll close. If every second you could lay a $1,000 bill like this, one, two, three, thousand, $1,000 every second, now, there's 31,536,000 seconds in one year. You'd have to continuously lay $1,000 bills down for 507 years at $1,000 a second to pay off our national debt. So, don't get caught up in money because it's nothing but paper anyway. They'll keep printing it. We'll soon have that much. So, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All we're interested in is using the resources of this world not only to bless other people, but to bless God. Amen. Close your Bible. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to bless us with the truth and the reality of the truth in our heart that we could actually get a picture of ourselves in the light of your word, that we are like that. That is for us. That is me that God is talking about. I pray that everybody's life in this church will begin to change. Attitudes, direction, love, responsibility, commitment, everything will be in a way that you're pleased with it. Do that work in us. Bring us into that deeper walk. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.